Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's podcast. We are a church from the downtown area of Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to God's word from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We pray that the Lord will draw us to him as we find ourselves in the story of God amidst suffering. you guys ever noticed as you read through scripture um, that a lot of the things that happen for individuals seem to take lots and lots of years? Has that ever like crossed your mind? Just a few of them to give you a couple ideas. Like Noah's told to make the ark. There's a flood coming. It takes him about a hundred-ish years to, to, to build the ark. Um, Abraham and Sarai are like told they're going to have a child, have an heir. And it's 25 years later. That uh, before Isaac shows up, Jacob had to wait 14 years for Rachel as he served Laban. Uh, Mary waited about 30 years for the promise of her son to be the Messiah. Like these, you see this these waiting happening over and over. It's, it, in, in most of the work of God, we can see that it's, it's seemingly not happening very quickly in our eyes. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that or seen that when you look at Scripture. It's actually, it's, it's, quite, it's quite confounding actually to believe like to see just how long everything seems to take in, in, in our eyes and what we see. And as we started the, 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 the study of Genesis, we've said this whole time, our desire is that you would find yourself in the story of God and that you would thrive regardless of your circumstances and not do the other thing where you make the story about you, but find what is, what is, is your part in the story of God and what he's doing in redeeming his people, bringing people to him. And in the last few weeks specifically, we've been talking about this idea through Genesis, the, the sovereignty of God, or the all-powerfulness of God, or the control of God, or the authority of God. When we say sovereign, it's saying that, that nothing ever will, can, or, or ever happen to uh, thwart his power, or stop his will in his timing for his glory. And then when we were talking about the sovereignty, we applied it to the Judah and Tamar story, and the, the history there where where every, sing, every single thing seems to be just full of sin and wrong and, and not going the way you would expect it, yet God's plans still weren't thwarted. And the question I asked you in that time is, do you trust God when it all goes terrible? When, when sin is all you see in the people around you or maybe even in yourself, will you trust his purposes, that he is not wasting any suffering? And then the, the following week, we talked about it through, through Joseph and Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, where Joseph is wrongly accused of raping Potiphar and put into prison, even though Joseph had done absolutely everything right in fleeing temptation and not, not doing the things. Even, I mean, he kind of put on a clinic in that way. And the question we had is, do you trust God's sovereignty, sovereignty when you do everything right and it still all goes terrible? And as we've been talking about this sovereignty and looking at this different ways, this chapter that we're in today, Genesis chapter 40, I won't read all of it, but you can go back and get um, the rest of it for yourselves. It's wonderful. Um, we see in this week, in this week, I think we get to the kind of the crux, the very bottom line, the foundation where all of us either are now or have in the past or are going to wrestle with the sovereignty of God. It's going to happen. We're going to struggle. And I think this week, as we look at Joseph's story, this week we see kind of the, the maybe not the, the baseline or maybe not the only thing, but, but primarily the reason why most of us will at some point, either in the past, currently, or in the future, or multiple points, wrestle with this idea that God is in control, that he has sovereign power, and that we, 
We can't do it. There's all kinds of reasons that people wrestle with that, but I think this chapter, Genesis, gets us to kind of the, the underlying current that really feeds all of it. So the, the, we, we pick up our story after, after 39. We know that, that Joseph in chapter 39 was in prison, but the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything he did because Joseph and put Joseph in charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever Joseph did in prison succeeded. Now, again, that, we talked about that last week, like he did everything right. He was still serving there. So we know that we can tell from, from what he's saying here is that apparently he is working hard in prison. Chapter 40 picks up and says, sometime after this. Again, we don't know the time. We don't know how long Joseph is in the, is in the pit with prison. We just know that 11 years at this point is what has happened of him being sold in, in, into slavery, being with Potiphar's family, and being in prison. We don't know how that's broken up, how much time spent in both, but it seems like a good chunk of time is spent in prison for Joseph. And the cupbearer um, of the king of Egypt and the baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of, of Egypt. Now, couple things that are important. The king of Egypt, the Pharaoh here, he is, he is Lord. He is a God to them. And so they did some offense. We don't know what the offense was, but, but this word cup, uh, cup bearer and chief baker, um, actually in, in, in the Hebrew term, it can be a number of different things. Like literally the cup bearer could be like the captain of drinking. He was probably like a U of I grad, right? Like, so like, <laughs> like that, that's, that, that could be that thing, right? Or, or you have like, um, it could be butler or, or um, chief cupbearer. Either way, what we know about these two people in history and um, what we see in this, in this case here is that these two men would have had really tight, close relationship with the king because the king had to deeply trust them because whatever, they, whatever he drank or ate had to be tested and, and cared for by these individuals. They were the ones to make sure that it happened and everything was good. So most theologians believe that something happened, a plot maybe to poison um, the king or something that happened, and both, both uh, the cupbearer and the baker get thrown into prison so that they can investigate it and then find out what's true, which is why we see when they're taken out of prison, one dies and one doesn't. Most likely they figured out the truth in the situation. But Pharaoh, whatever they did, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, the captain drinking, captain of, of, of food. Uh, by the way, bakers, like, there are like 53 ancient Egyptian pastry recipes that are apparently like really amazing and they were really, really good at it. Like very, 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 very good. Just so you guys know, I didn't know that when I looked at the history. That was cool. But but they do something, and Pharaoh was angry. And this angry word here is, is like a hot temper, like a boiling up at a moment, but it's kind of a fleeting temper, something that like an explosion and then subsides pretty quickly. So it's not like the long anger, like the anger that he showed about Joseph with Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife um, that Potiphar had shown with Joseph. So, so there they are. They're in prison. And he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Now, we know who the captain of the guard is. That's where Joseph was serving. That's Potiphar's house. Okay, so he's in this house, somehow under their care. Some theologians would say, well, this is proof that Joseph was in a like, more house arrest and less pit-like, but we'll see from Psalm 105 and from Joseph's explanation that this is actually not true. He may have come out of that pit to serve them because we see when he comes out in the morning, he's not sleeping where they are. So, but they, because they are people of prominence, people of value, high-placed officials, they're in Potiphar's care, the, the captain of the guard's house, and Joseph is told to take care of them. So here we have Joseph again, serving his little heart out in prison, taking care of everyone else, again, as a slave in 
Egypt. And so here they are. They're all in place. And then, and then we don't know um, specifically how long, but it says one night. One night, both the cupbearer and the baker have a dream. And the dream is similar-ish, and they have this dream. Now, what's important for us to understand in Egypt, in, in this time, dreams were the, like, the conduit. It was the, it was the phone line to the gods and the previous relative, the, the dead. And so what they believed was anytime a dream came, there had, the gods were trying to speak to them or a distant relative or dead relative was trying to speak to them. And so what happened is there became this whole, pref- this whole profession of like necromancers and, and, and magicians and people that were like, they, they studied how to interpret dreams. And so they became this like really needed and very busy people in Egypt that like their whole job was to go to a dream and to listen to someone's dream and then interpret it and tell them what, what, what the dream meant because everyone believed that something was happening there. We also know that the Hebrews, that Joseph and his family and everyone else, they also believed that there was something about dreams, that, that God was speaking to them through dreams. I want to caution you because I know some of you have some really whacked dreams today, okay? Like just because you're dreaming, it does not mean God or the gods or a dead relative speaking to you. In fact, the scriptures actually give us that safeguard too. We see in Ecclesiastes that, that he says in Ecclesiastes 5, he talks about the busyness of mind is the reason why you have dreams. Your mind's just busy thinking about other stuff. And then Jeremiah, we see, Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, we see both that um, Jeremiah uh, 23 and Deuteronomy 13, we see both the Bible warns that false prophets will try to use false interpretations of dreams to, to lead you astray, to make money on you. So, so we know that, that, that there's not, so if you're having really weird dreams, I said this first service and someone's sibling was like, I'm really glad you said that because I had a dream that you were like, like doing, like totally stuck on like uh, sleeping age or whatever, like addicted to sleeping age last night. So this is a weird dream. Anyways, don't worry about your dreams, guys, okay? The Lord can speak to you in dreams, but um, we don't need necromancers. And as we find out in the scripture, uh, God is the one who interprets dreams and gives these dreams when they're meant to be for purpose. And so they have these dreams, but the reason why the cupbearer and baker are so sad, so despondent, so frustrated is because in their minds, they're in prison. They don't know what's going to happen to him. Maybe the baker knows what's going to happen to him because he knows his plot and this is why he'll end up being killed later on, maybe. Um, but either way, they're looking for an answer of what, what's going to happen with their life. But in their mind, there's no way to get that answer because the professionals aren't in prison. And so that's, that's the scenario. That's what, what Joseph is coming to. Now, picture yourself if you're Joseph, wrongfully sold into slavery, wrongfully imprisoned for, for a rape that you did not do, now, all of a sudden, you have the opportunity to care for two people who have the ear of the king. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like this would be like, hey, I just need an in. I need a way in. Maybe I'm going to, maybe I'll, maybe I'll help them more. And we don't know that Joseph's serving them better because he's trying to get in their ear. That's, that's just conjecture on my part. But we also got to recognize that Joseph would know, anyone in this situation would know that these people, if they're out, they have the Pharaoh's ear. And the only one that's higher than, than Potiphar that could take care of him are these individuals close to Pharaoh or Pharaoh himself. So, so this is like, hey, this might be an opportunity. There's also something that I think is really, really important for us to see into a window is in verse seven. Uh, verse seven, it says this. Before they have the dreams, uh, Joseph asked Pharaoh's official officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. Why are your faces downcast today? Now, I think this verse seven is a little window into Joseph's heart. And this is important. This is a, a little thing that we'll talk about and we'll move on from, but I want you guys to hear it because I think it's really important. 
It's really hard if you are downcast, despondent, frustrated, angry, impatient to genuinely care and ask about someone else and how they're doing. If Joseph was so angry and frustrated about his situation and all of a sudden he sees the officials sad, the, the face here, the, the downcast face is not just like sad, it's like, like completely distraught, like, like very physically, obviously very sad, very distraught. Joseph could maybe say, like, what's wrong? And, okay, cool, move on. It, it seems like the boy that was a little bit of a snot <laughs> sold into slavery early on has grown into a man that actually cares about people because he says, what's wrong? How, like, what's wrong? How can I help you? And then they tell him, I don't have a dream. And, and so I think it's important for us to see that because if Joseph was just angry about being in prison and just counting his time and just being like, all right, God, this is the season of life. I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through it. He's not going to make much of an effort to care for someone else's feelings. And that's the same thing for us. If you, if you continually stay fixated on the struggles in your own life, although they may be very real, very painful, very difficult, but you don't recognize that God is still in your life, still at work, you're not going to have space to ask someone how they feel. You'll do the, the church, how you doing? Like, I'm saying how you doing because I, I feel like high is too cheap, but I don't really want to know how you're doing, right? He's saying, no, how are you doing? Like, tell me. By the way, that church, how you doing, isn't the way it should be, just so you guys know. I don't know if you got that. We should genuinely care about how people are doing and be willing to listen and to walk with them. And Joseph does in prison. Okay, so... The chief cupbearer and uh, <laughs> tells him the dream. So Joseph is like, okay, I had this dream. Oh, wait, sorry, I got to back up. Joseph says something that's very important for us to see. In verse, in verse eight, they say we had these dreams. And Joseph says to him, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, this is really important because here's a slave boy in prison speaking to someone who is like the next to, to Pharaoh, a higher official. And, what, and they're despondent because they don't have access to the professional dream interpreters. And what Joseph, this little Hebrew boy is saying is like, no, 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 you want to get your dreams interpreted? They belong to God. God is the one who interprets dreams. This is a bold statement for him to have made in this setting because they probably wouldn't have listened to him because they know he's a slave. But the cupbearer is intrigued by that. So he tells him the dream. Joseph speaks boldly about the fact, saying that ultimately the events of the future lay in Yahweh's hands. You want to know what that means? Only God will give you that, which in essence is saying all of your interpreters, professional interpreters, if they're getting it right, it's because God's allowing them to get it right or God is telling them how to get it right. So they tell, he tells this dream. He says, okay, so Chief Cupper tells his dream. In my dream, there was a vine before me, and, and on the vine, there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into, the, into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, well, this is its interpretation. Now, we don't see Joseph pause. Hang on, let me, let me talk to God. We don't see him like, there's, there's nothing. It just literally, like, it almost like he ends and just goes into it. So what most theologians believe, the reason why Joseph is doing this is that the assumption is that Joseph has been spending much time with God in prayer before this moment. Because he's confident. He's walking with God. He's, I know what God's going to do. I know these dreams. Because again, if you remember the first two dreams he had that got him sold into slavery, he had no idea what they meant. He just said, hey, I had this dream, blah, blah, blah. Like he spent time growing with the Lord and now he knows that they're God. So he says, this is interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to the office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were, when you were his cupbearer. 
And so he tells him, look, the three days, you're going to be lifted up. This term lifted up is used three times. It can literally mean to cut off a head. It can literally mean to, um, to be lifted, to take the case of someone. So it seems like in this situation, the scenario is you're gonna, your case is going to be taken and you will be seen as not guilty. And the baker will see it's, your case is seen and you'll be hanged and your head will be taken up from you. And so it's, a, it's literally probably more of a, a judicial term is what it's being used as. So here he goes. He says, okay, this is going to happen. And then Joseph kind of calls an audible. Now, this is interesting. He says, only, verse 14, remember me when it is well with you. And please do me this kindness. This word kindness here, guys, is such a beautiful word in Hebrew. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a covenant language word. It's a, it's a deep belonging. It's, a, it's like, would you care for me at a level that you genuinely, genuinely know me and deeply know me and are intimate with me. It's not only sexual, just intimate. It's a very beautiful word. And he's saying, hey, cupbearer, you need me. You need me. You can't get a dream interpreted. I just interpret your dream. Like, I, and I, I need you. I can't get a voice to Pharaoh, but you can. And so he says in verse 14, he says, will you, will you do me this kindness to me and mention to Pharaoh? And so get me out of this house for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So this is why we know it's not just a house arrest, into the pit. And so here we see Joseph potentially taking the scenario into his own hands. Maybe some, some would believe that here's Joseph saying, I'm going to look for another way out because I think God's forgotten me. I don't really think that's what's happening here, but I think he's just kind of making the most of an opportunity. Like, hey, you're going to literally in three days, you're going to be standing with the Pharaoh. The only person that can get me out of here. Can you help me out? Like, I think he's taking advantage of the situation. So then the baker, the chief baker, saw that the interpretation was favorable. Now, this tells us that the baker didn't believe that Joseph could interpret dreams. So when he says only God can do it, he probably snuffed his head. God, whatever, you're a Hebrew God, bleh. But he says, oh, that, I mean, went good for the cupbearer, so tell me about mine. And so he tells him his dream, and he says, okay, there's, it's a shorter dream. I had this dream with three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the f- birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And then Joseph answered them and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And he's probably at this moment like, yes. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now, I don't know his reaction to that. I don't know if he was like, whatever, your, your thing's stupid. Or if he was like, felt the trembling in that. I don't, I don't know how he responded to that. But I want to pause real quickly on this because I think it's really important. What you don't see Joseph doing is you don't see Joseph softening the blow any or saying it differently. And I, th- I think that's really important because as a church today, when we, when we think about talking to people through difficult things um, or speaking truth in people's lives, so often we either just don't do it because we're afraid of hurting someone or we do it as a complete jerk <laughs> and we just squash someone in their issues. And so what you see here is you see Joseph he hears from the Lord what the dream is and he tells him this. He could have lied to him. He could have made it easy for the baker for the last three days of his life, but Joseph was honoring in God. And I think there's a huge lesson for us in this. We, we must be willing to speak truth, even if it means the person we're going to say it to is not going to like us for it. I think it's really important for us to, to hear that. Now, we don't get to say it 
like a jerk. We have to say it with the fruit of the Spirit, with kindness and gentleness. Jesus is both grace and truth. If we're just truth, we're, we're, we're missing the point of Jesus. But the fact that we're afraid to say something because we're afraid of how they may respond is actually a, a disobedience to God if he is the one that's giving us the truth to speak to a friend. And so my encouragement for you is, is to, to gently, prayerfully um, ask the Lord, seek counsel, but but. Don't be afraid to speak truth into people's lives. Specifically, other believers is a, is a really important thing. If you see a friend straying or you see a friend making choices, don't be afraid to speak truth into them. It doesn't have to just be believers either, but just don't do it void of the, of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it without kindness, gentleness. Like, don't, don't do it that way without patience. So, so we are to speak this truth to each other. Second thing in this, and I just want to, I want to be really clear on this. If you speak the truth to someone, and it's a hard truth, maybe it's a, hey, I, if you keep doing this, it's going to cost you your marriage, or hey, if you keep doing this, like, you're going to end up an addict, or what, whatever it may be, like, whatever the hard truth you're speaking to him, if it truly is truth, and you're doing it to the best of your ability, saturated in the Holy Spirit, as kindly as you can, within the best timing that you think is in place, and they hate you or reject you. They don't hate you and they aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And it's very important for us to hear that because, because I've been on the receiving end of poorly saying it to people, but also I think doing it within the spirit where people don't like you for that. And, and, and it's, it's not worth to stop speaking truth into someone's life just because you're worried that they may not like you. That's, that's, not, that's not a healthy place. And it's not our job to change the hearts of anyone. The Lord is the one who changes the hearts. We are to just point them to him, to truth. So don't shy away from it. Joseph doesn't. He just kind of tells it, and we don't get any other conversation. Like, we don't get what those three days are like. We don't get, like, if the, the door knocked on the third day, if Joseph was like, you know, like, this is it, right? Right? We have no idea if Joseph afterwards was having more conversations. So let me tell you about more of my story. Or he's, he's still having to take care of him for those three days. So they're still in contact. But then, verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. So he brought them up to tell them they're, they're, they're um, guilty or not guilty. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So now here's what's important for us to understand. Joseph has... The, the, all the servants, do you see what the birthday party is with the servants? So the chief jailer would have been there. He would have been there. Joseph probably wasn't at this party. But that means that, that literally exactly what Joseph interpreted by God to these people happened. So the chief jailer is going to come back and Joseph's like, so what happened? Well, you won't believe it. Joe and, and, and Bob or whatever their names were, right? Like he got restored and he didn't. So Joseph on that day probably gets the news that it happened. Now, if you're Joseph, you're probably like, yes, right? So you go and pack up your like rock toothbrush. I don't know what he has in there, right? Like, you know, try to comb the long beard and get yourself ready, like getting ready to pack, like grab your whatever sandals are left. Like, I got to go finally. It's going to happen. And then the next day you wait and you're like, okay, it's going to happen today. Like today's the day and you're waking up and then you're, this is going to be so awesome. Then the next day it's like, okay, yeah, maybe he's he's just busy. You know, this party goes on for a while. And then the next day it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe he's Maybe he's, maybe he just hasn't had the opportunity, and the next day he's like, "Oh, he he probably hasn't forgotten me yet, has he?" Like, pretty soon he's unpacking his stuff. <laughs> Start realizing, like, man, that this this pit is 
is not going anywhere. And every time someone walks by, maybe when the chief general leaves, like, is this the moment? Is this the moment? Is this the moment? I'm so excited. This is it. This is going to happen, right? But it doesn't happen. And we're, we're told in, in, in 40, 40, 42, or 41 that it says after two whole years. Well, it says whole years, not like some. Two whole years. And what does verse 23 say to us? It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, the cupbearer completely forgets Joseph's plea for kindness. He says, hey, we need each other. We're in this together. We're buddies. The cupbearer seemingly leaves Joseph and forgets him in every way. So Joseph is left, in, in, and the only thing that makes sense, in bitter disappointment. Like if you've ever had expectations of something going really well when you were in a really tough spot and then you get the worst news, it's almost worse <laughs> than the, the, the first news of being in the tough spot. But now it seems like Joseph is back in prison, back at the spot where he's at. Seemingly, man and God has forgotten him. And I don't, I don't know about you where you are, but when you experience this kind of difficulty, and everyone has their own version, and, and I don't want to make trite or small yours, like I get it, you're not in a pit in Egypt, <laughs> sold into slavery, falsely accused, like I get that. But the issues and the difficulties in your life are very real. They're very painful to you. They're very, very difficult. And, and when it seems to pile on, you start feeling like you're, you're getting crushed in the weight of it. And we don't, we don't get, again, the, 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 the history is, is eerily silent on Joseph's responses. We don't get much of it. But there is this one small sliver of hope in this section for Joseph. And I tend to believe that when we see Joseph in the next chapter before Pharaoh, I tend to believe that he grabbed onto this sliver of hope at some moment. It may have taken him some time, but he grabbed onto this at some moment in those two years because the man who stands before Pharaoh is definitely not the boy who was stolen to slavery and is definitely not the person in Potiphar's house. So, so he grabs onto it, but here's a small hope. And this, this is really important for us to grab because I, I can't tell you in my own life or in the lives of so many people, we're always looking for like, we're hoping that, like, we're asking God for something. We're all asking God for something. We're, we're pleading for God for something. And it's, it's a good thing. And, it's, and we're, we're struggling. It's the health of someone. It's, a, it's, the, it's the wrestling of, of relationships or something to be saved. We're all grabbing on this. And so often we want to be driving down the connector and them have accent, like, God have taken over the Amber Alert thing and being like, hey, Bren, this is God. Here's your answer. Like, we want that sign. Like, right? We want it to say it super clear and be like, oh, thanks, God. That was great. Okay, I'm good to go. Let's, let's go. But, but very rarely does that happen. God will speak to us that way, maybe not on the Amber Lute sign, but he will speak to us. He will talk to us. But see, Joseph gets this little sliver of hope. And this is what I see in my own life and the life of so many people that so often we're so quick to be like, that's just not enough. We're despondent. How dare you, God? Too little, too late. What does Joseph get? See, he, he knows without a doubt if he believed what he said to the, the cupbearer and the baker that, that dreams are... Belong, interpretations belong to God. And then the interpretation which, which, with which he gave them came exactly true. You know, that, then he knows with, without a doubt that God is with him because God 
gave him that interpretation, and that interpretation was correct. And again, it, it, it's a small thing to hang on to when you're in a pit after 11 years and about to spend two more years, which he has no idea about. He has no idea it's going to be two years later. But he gets this small little hope that, that, that God's still using him, which to me, again, it, it, it may not come close to the weight of everything else, but it is a truth. And this is what the Lord does with me in my own life, and I guarantee he does this with you in your own life. He gives us those little moments. When we're so despondent about all of this, he's like, yeah, yeah, but don't you remember this? But this is so big. And he's like, it's not, I'm not saying it's not big. It is big. It's heavy. It's weight. But don't forget this. Don't forget who I am. Joseph could without a doubt go, I was used by God. I was used in this moment and God did, which... I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Like, it's one thing to be like, man, I played a guitar and was used by God. No, no offense to anyone that does it. That's great. You're awesome. But like, to be able to say that like, you literally interpreted someone's dreams, you told the future because God gave you that, like, that's a pretty big thing. The people that, the necromancers spent years studying dreams to become professional dream interpreters. It's a big thing. He was right. God used him to interpret the dreams. But here, here lies the problems and the issues um, that we tend to have when it comes to the sovereignty of God. See, it doesn't, doesn't matter if we've done everything right or we've seen everything broken around us full of sinfulness or it's our own sinfulness in ourselves or we've seen God give us those little teeny blips of a joy or moments of like, hey, I'm still there. I'm still with you. I'm still doing a work for you. It doesn't matter. See, our issue isn't the sovereignty of God. Our issue isn't the power of God or the authority of God. I'm sure we have all kinds of issues there. But, but really when it comes down to it, our biggest issue is timing. Why? Like our, our question is, why God? Why are you working so seemingly painfully slow? This is a question I feel like no one would argue with Joseph if he asked. Like no one would be like, Joseph, like, could you imagine if you were a counselor to like, you had rights to go into the pit and be with Joseph and you were like trying to counsel him in, 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 in the word and, and, and encourage him. And he's like, yeah, I just, I'm really struggling with the pit. I hope the Lord will take me. Yeah, man, I, I believe that. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, okay, just you keep being faithful. You just keep doing you, you. Like you take care of you and you do those things. You do what the Lord's asking you to do. Show Jesus. You just keep being faithful. Maybe tomorrow. And then a year later, maybe tomorrow. And then a year later, I don't think I'd keep saying tomorrow to the poor guy. I think I, by year, I mean, by month six, I probably would have given up. That's just me. But by year 10, I mean, would you still be like, hey, a decade of your life is gone. Maybe tomorrow. See, this is the issue we have with God's sovereignty is because it's, it's like, it just seems so slow. Like, what, what do you, if your timing is in place, God, what are you doing? It, it just seems so slow. And this is what I wanted to just, just for a few moments today, I just want to land on this and then we'll, we'll end our time. There are two, there are many things we can take this, but there's two things I want to specifically encourage us as a church, just a really ground level application for ourselves when it comes to the sovereignty of God and his timing. The, the first one is that God commits himself to finish what he began in us. So again, we've, we've been talking about this on repeat since the beginning of Genesis. Like we see that God has kept his, his promise. We see it from the promise in Genesis 3.15. We see the culmination in Jesus and we see the, the coming of him again at the, at the end of scriptures in Thessalonians and, and all the other ones. So we, we see that God is keeping his promise. He's kept it up to Jesus and we're expecting that he will keep it to him coming again in Jesus. So, so we know that that's happening, but our issue is, what about today? 
What about tomorrow? And so Philippians 1.6, I think it's just, it's wonderful. It says this, it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that's where we usually stop reading it. Like bring it to completion. When does he promise to bring us to completion? At the day of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So hear this, this is so important. This is a promise from God. He's going to complete it. We'll get another verse in just a little bit that talks about that. He is going to bring it to completion. So that means that the thing you're wrestling with, the, the, the battle you're having, the, the, the turmoil that you're in, the, the, the struggle that's in play with you right now, he will see it to completion, but it might not be to completion until the day of Jesus' coming back again and the resurrection. So hear that? That means that some of the things you guys are battling some of the hardships, some of the sadness, some of the sorrow that you're experiencing might be something you experience until he comes again. There are other things too that he might say a year or two or three. Maybe it's a a few months. But see, even at this point in Joseph's life, 11 years of his life in slavery. He still has two years more to come, but he doesn't know about that. He doesn't know about the two more years. We know it because we're reading into it. And we can know now, looking back at his life, that he wasn't ready yet. He wasn't ready yet. What what we can know without a doubt, that, that Joseph wasn't ready to be in the position he was going to be in. Because if God's the one that gives the dreams and God's the one that interprets the dreams, he could have easily given Pharaoh that dream seven days later. He didn't have to wait two years to give it to him. Joseph wasn't ready. And, and, and that's, that's the truth for many of us, you and me alike. Maybe we're just not ready for what's ahead of us still. And the Lord still needs to refine and work in us. And he's gonna use everything to do so. He tells us that in his scripture. He will not waste any suffering, any good, any, any seeming evil. None of that will get in the way. He's going to use all of it to bring about us to a position in a place where we can sustain and walk and do what he's asking us to do to us next. So some of you guys hear this. this the, the, the season you're in is because God is doing a work in you so that you can be ready to do the work that he's gonna do through you in the next season. We all, we all know what happens when people get power. Joseph is two whole years, I'll call them short years, from, from being placed in the biggest kingdom of the time with the most authority to do whatever he wants, to take care of all people, if he's not ready, I, I mean, that could go really bad. I mean, what do you think he does the first day? He goes, hey, Cupbear, I got a question for you. Two years, huh, bud? Like, two years. What does he do to Potiphar's wife? What does he do to his brothers? See, we can say, looking at it at this point, it's pretty obvious that Joseph wasn't ready yet. It's not that God was like, oh, if only you'd have been ready, I could do this. It's God, no, no, I'm, I'm working my purposes out. Let me show you why I know this. Psalm 105 says this. Speaking of Joseph, Psalm 105, 16 through 19 says, when he, God, summoned a famine on the land. Okay, now hear this. God summons the famine. So God's doing that too. He's the one that's bringing that about. And broke all supply of bread. He had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord, what? Tested him. Look at this. I mean, I would, 
I'd be like, man, God, can you prepare me by not selling me into slavery? (laughs) Can you prepare me by not leaving me in the pit? This is what God wanted. And all the while, what he did to send him and to, to, it was beforehand. Joseph was in play when he was sold as a little snotty 17-year-old. God was at work in that moment, in that way, to bring about this purpose. So we know this. Ultimately, his plea to be remembered will be recalled. This is what one scholar says. By the chief cupbearer. And the prison will prove to be a stepping stone to the palace. Then it, will clear that the su- then it will be clear that the suffering of one righteous man has proved to be the source of blessing, not just to Egypt, but to keep many people alive. Chapter 50 through verse 20. Also through Joseph, the Abrahamic promise that all the families of the earth will find blessing in you, Genesis 12, 3, is partially fulfilled. See, God is working in his timing to do what he said he would do all along. All men God uses greatly, he will prepare greatly first. We don't get to short, shortcut that. Like what God wants to do in and through us, he wants to get ultimately the glory for it, and he deserves the glory for it. If I jump into position without God's leading, then I'm doing it for my glory, not his, no matter how good it looks on paper. So if you want to be used by God, you want to stay used by God, then, then, then just recognize that he is going to prepare you to be used by him. And that, may, that preparation will be all kinds of things. It may not always be a pit. It might be really good things. I wrote it this way in my notes. I said, I think it's not just possible, but probable that for you and your circumstances right now, God is refining you for the work he has ahead of you. Work that you are to walk in, a worthy manner of work that was prepared for you to walk in before the foundations of time. So then how, church, how do we do this? How do, we, how do we sit, how do we rest in the idea that God is at work when we see so much garbage around us and in us and a part of us? I'm going to end here with a lot of scripture for you guys. You'll probably want to go back and read some of them. But the, what we are to do is we are to walk in perseverance or endure it. And when I say that, please hear me on this. I'm, when I'm saying walk in perseverance, I'm not saying white knuckle it, like cling on and be like, I got to hold on as tight as I can or else. Like, there is an aspect, maybe there's a teaching that we could have one moment about Jacob, like, literally clinging to God while he's wrestling with him at night, can't see him, like, I'm not letting go until you give me a blessing. Like, maybe there's some aspect of, like, cling to Jesus in that way, but, but it's not a matter of, like, our brute strength. <laughs> and it's definitely not a matter of doing it perfectly. Let me, let me show you what this means. The, the first Kings, first Kings 8, 57, 58 says it this way. It says, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Okay, so God be with us as you were with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. So what is he saying here? He's not saying the Lord our God um, be with us because we're doing everything right. He's saying, God, will you be with us so that we can actually do what you ask of us? That's a really important thing for us to understand. It's not a matter of we don't do the things that he's asking us to do. It's a matter of him being with us so we do them with the right motivation, the right power to do so. We are incapable of doing them without him. And so they're saying, God, be with us so that we may be you. God, so that we may obey you. God, be with us so that we may seek and love you. God, be with us so that we may honor you. The part of perseverance and enduring is, is that, again, it's not white-knuckling it. 
It's not just having enough grit and it's not doing it perfectly. I think the problem with the, the church is, is that if we, if we take the scriptures true, then that means that some of our friends and family and the people, your spouses, that are running from the Lord, they're actually prodigal sons. They're not just evil people. There are some that will leave and that were never of us. We see that in 1 John. We see that in Matthew with Jesus as well. But, but the reality is, is, it, is our sanctification journey never looks like this. It just climbs. It's, it's like, you know, whatever, everywhere it's direction. And no matter how chaotic and, cr- and crusty and horrible at times it feels, God is still sovereign over it. He's still working. Proverbs 24, 16 says it this way. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do you, do you see that? The righteous fall. The righteous fall. The righteous fail. The righteous stumble. The righteous sin. The righteous make mistakes. Do, do, you, see, do you see that? But what's the difference between the righteous and the evil? The righteous get back up. And even, and Jonathan and I were talking about this week, Jonathan pointed this out, it's so brilliant. Even our getting back up isn't actually ours. It's, it's, it's God. Look at Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place. Okay, we're with God. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So it's a picture of him literally holding us up. So it's not like God's like, oh, Brian, you fell down again, come here. No, he's like, literally, I'm falling into his arms. And he's lifting me back up. Hebrews tells us that we are anchored into the throne room of God. There is no way for us to get off except for in the throne room of God. So even when we fall, even when we fail, church, even when we fail, we fall into the arms of a loving God who lifts us back up. So what the righteous do? They turn. They repent. They confess. They refuse to walk in sin, not because that's what you're supposed to do, but because they've been so deeply loved by a God who had no need to love us this way, but did so at a great cost to himself through Jesus Christ. And therefore, all I want to do is love him back. Not out of duty, but out of joy. So we get lifted back up. So he's the one that lifts up. It's not about walking it perfectly, robotically, with zero motion or wrestling. No, it's a matter of a fact. When, when, when I fail, when I struggle, when I mess up, it's do I turn to the Lord? Do I turn to his scriptures or something else? Do I turn to the community of God or do I run from it? We've all seen and experienced all of those things, either personally or with other people. Do you wrestle in a way that brings you back to the fact that you recognize that you have never left God? All you did is bring sin to the throne room of God. That's all you did. But the whole time Jesus is saying, I paid for that. I paid for that. I advocated for him. So then how do we operate in this? How do we rest in his sovereignty? If God is sovereign, that means that his, his timing is perfect. He is at work in our hearts of every one of his children and using the means, his, any means necessary for our good and his glory. It's not about being the best. It's about persevering. It's about living a life that has faith. And even the faith that we have in us, guys, is a gift from God. It's not about being the best. It's about being faithful. It's not about not messing up. It's about persevering, enduring. Look at this. There's a bunch of scripture. I'm just going to read it to you here. So, So be encouraged by the life of Joseph and others. I'm not supposed to be faithful like Joseph. Okay, I don't need to be faithful like Joseph. I need to be faithful like Bren. 
Because God has given me faith. And when I lack faith, he says, ask for more. Maybe we can pray like the centurion. I believe, but help my unbelief. See, I don't need to be like someone else's faith. I just need to be the faith that God has given me and walk that out. Yes, we can be encouraged by the life of Joseph and others that display lives of faith that are incredible. That's all of Hebrews 11. <laughs> we are to, to be amazed by that. But, but here's the thing, church. We, we are meant to be the cloud of witnesses for those behind us. <laughs> It's not like the cloud of witnesses just stopped in Hebrews and be like, okay, well, this is all the people that were faithful, and since then, no one's been faithful. No, we're to be encouraged by that. But, but we get to live a life that, that the kids, the, the little, little babies, the people that are behind us, the people that don't know Jesus yet, that are following, can be encouraged by. This is what it means to be faithful. Galatians 6, 9 says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Look at, look at this is a part. We, we, we struggle with the idea of the, of the due season. What if that season's a few years from now? What if that season's 10 years from now? What if that season's in the resurrection? Church, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, 58 says it this way. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? That in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That means that he is not wasting any of it, guys. He's, he's using it to bring about more faith. He's using it to prepare you for what's ahead of you. He's using it to make you look more like Jesus. Nothing is in vain. Hebrews 10, 32 through 36 says it this way. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Church, that's something that I don't know if we can understand very well today. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession of an abiding, a remaining wealth. In Jesus. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of what? Endurance. See, I think we've been lied to, or we've lied to ourselves, or we believe the lie that, like, this is just a quick little short race. You just come to that moment, you have that cool, tear filled moment of, I love you, Jesus, and everything works out great. No, you have need of endurance. Why? So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Lastly, church, I want to I encourage you with what I've said the last two weeks <laughs> that maybe you keep ignoring or not listening to, or maybe it's stuck. But there are, there are three massive truths that you and I, that you and I can hold on to, that you and I can, can rest in, that you and I can, can be okay with and can, can, um, can move forward with because they're 100% true, and we know that they're true because of Jesus. And the first one is that God is good. We have got to settle this in our hearts. God does not owe us any other proof that he is good. He has shown us to the greatest depth at the greatest cost to himself in Jesus Christ that he is good. So even questioning whether or not God is good is an affront to what Jesus did on the cross. This must just sink in and say, no, 
No, no matter what happens, I know, I know, despite what I see, despite how hard it is, and even if I see it every day for the rest of my life until I'm home with him, I know that God is good because I have no right to be home with him if it were not for what Jesus has done for me. So God is good. Second thing we can know without a doubt is that he wants relationship with us. He does not need it, but he desires. And he went at great lengths, at great cost to himself to make that happen so that you and I, those who profess to follow Jesus, can be in a right relationship with God. We can without doubt, when as hard as it's going right now, we know that God isn't going, hmm, do I want Brent or not? He's, there's no question of that. There's no question that because my salvation is not held by me, it's held in him. And nothing can take me from him, not even myself. So we know without a doubt that God is good, that he wants relationship with us. And we know no matter what, no matter what we see, that God's plans will not be thwarted. His will will not be um, stopped. That no matter what he does, God is going to accomplish his redemption within his means, his plans, and his timings. Jesus has delivered the death blow to sin and death. God is always at work, which means he is accomplishing his redemptive purposes for me and his people and ultimately all things for the good and his ultimate glory. Guys, church, we can, we can know this without doubt. We can know this. So no amount of distance in time in this vapor of a life that James tells us we have. It's a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. No amount of time on this earth could ever make us or, or allow us to have to question these three things. And when, when we're in that spot, in that prison cell, in that pit, and we find out that we have two more years ahead of us. When we're in that moment, we go, man, this doesn't make any sense because I guarantee some of you are there right now, some of you will be there tomorrow, and some of you are going to be there for a very long time. Like, this doesn't make any sense. We can rest in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, which says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, God speaking. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That means, church, that means that we are not going to understand at times the ways with which he is bringing about the sanctification which he has promised to complete in us, which we get in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely, and let us hear this, run with endurance the race that is set before us. You, you have a charted map in front of you. You just don't know the stops, but God does. He knows when the hill's coming. He knows when the flat spot's coming. He knows when your feet are getting stinky and sweaty and you're going to get blisters. He knows all of that stuff. And he is telling us to run this race. And how we run it, he says, is by looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, and perfecter or completer of her faith. Here's that promise again. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll know that God is good. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll know that God wants relationship with you. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you know that his plans will not be thwarted. Keep your eyes on Jesus and no prison time will ever get in the way of the truth that he is going to complete that which he began in you. Goes on and says, looking to Jesus, the founder of the faith, perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I get it. We wrestle with the sovereignty of God. We wrestle with his timing. Some of you right now, you're, you're doing the math. You're like, God, why, 
Why these four years here? Why these two years there? Why this 10 years here? It seems so wasted. Just take heart, church. He does not waste suffering. He does not, what, what, what anyone meant for evil, he can turn for good. Whatever, whatever struggles you have, whatever wrestlings you have, he is stronger and capable to overcome them. And he will, he, hear me on this, he will overcome them in his perfect time. And if that means his perfect timing is in the resurrection, well, in the resurrection, you're not gonna complain about how long it took because you're gonna spend an eternity in the presence of Jesus with no tears, no pain, and no brokenness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, all that you do. God, I confess, I confess to you that um, at times I get so frustrated with you in the, the seemingly uh, difficult, seeming difficulties you give to some, allow for some, to have the, the time, as even as I think of my friend and as we're pleading for you to save their son from cancer, God, I just, I want to see you move. And um, at the same time, I'm confronted, God, by my own sinfulness, and you have already moved. You moved in Jesus. You moved in my life, and you continue to move. And so, God, I forgive me for um, doubting your timing, doubting uh, the length with which anyone is struggling, myself included, and help us to walk in peacefulness, walk in rest, knowing that perseverance and enduring is going to happen when, only when we remain in our dwelling with you and you help us to, you make us, help us to walk out the things that you created for us to do before we were even created. Father, we love you and we thank you for the ability to, to worship you, to serve you, to live for you. And forgive us for, um, forgive me for uh, thinking I deserve more than you've already given me. Father, may we be a people that are um, truly saturated by your spirit where patience is so much easier to walk in because we know um, no matter how difficult or hard it is today or tomorrow, uh, there's still a day coming when we will be free of it all. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you'd come quickly. And until then, Lord, I pray that we would be faithfully, um, faithfully walking in perseverance to show all those that don't know you yet, that are, that are our brothers and sisters that aren't home yet, so that they can come home and we can be with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org or on the Church Center app. We encourage you not to neglect meeting together as believers, and may you continue to love God and love others.